0: Hi, and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church who now meet each week in Hollywood Adventist on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Van Ness in Los Angeles. In-person church life, as with the rest of life, it's gonna take a while to find its shape again post-Covid, and slowly and surely is gonna be our mantra for a while. All these podcasts are taken for the time being from our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises. You can live stream them or watch the videos later on bread.church if that's more your thing. How to return is the theme of the current series. We hope it serves you well. Welcome everyone, uh, very nice to see you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ed, and I lead the church with my wife Hannah. It's great that you're with us. Happy Thanksgiving. You've made it back, some of you. It's great to see you with us. Hello people online. I think it's very nice. If we're going to be disturbed by police sirens, for them to be almost in the right key It's very considerate of them. Um, but there we go. Now, if you weren't here last week, um, we launched our end-of-year giving campaign. We are looking to raise $100,000, which we've done uh, each year previously, in fact. Uh, Either matched it or gone above it, and it will um, cover about a quarter of our budget uh, for this year. And I spoke last week about Jesus' parable of the master and the servants, uh, all being given talents. Um, A master leaves his three servants uh, these vast sums of money worth about a million dollars in today's money each. Two of them uh, bring uh, more back, Uh, having done something with it, and one hasn't done anything and buried it in the ground. And the main points were these. that The master stands for God, and so all the money in the whole universe is God's. He distributes it as he pleases. All the money in your bank account, however small or large that may be, is God's. Even Queen Liz, even hers, it's all God's. He it is who distributes it. So don't worry too much if you haven't got too much or you haven't got too little, it's all his anyway. And secondly, therefore, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with what we've been given? Are we going to open it out in generous ways, with open hands, seeking for it to be used to build God's kingdom, or are we going to hold it tightly in our grasp for fear that anyone might take it away from us, and what might that do to our sense of self? Now, I understand for many of us Um, When money is tight, and probably this last, whatever, two years has been incredibly difficult on lots of levels, hasn't it? Not least um, for people's sense of self in having work to do or not having work to do, uh, but also just um, what the future might hold. It makes us sort of kind of cramped down inside ourselves. We sort of um, uh, protect ourselves, don't we, from the world. And so the idea of money and giving it away might not be exactly what you want to hear uh, this morning, but it is what's happening, so I'm sorry about that. Um, And I want to, though, ask a kind of follow-up question to what I asked last week, which was, even if theoretically, as good Christians, we do actually believe that all the money is God's and that we can give it back to him and that he will look after us, why is it that even then, even so we find it so difficult to be open with it, to to be giving of it. Why can being free with money often feel so difficult? As I said last week, Jesus spoke a lot about money. He spoke about money far more, in fact, than he did about sex, or prayer, or forgiveness, or even faith and love, things that are talked about quite a lot in church. Jesus actually talked more about money than anything else apart from the kingdom of God. One in every ten verses in the gospel concerns money. There is a reason for this. Jesus knew quite how powerful money is, both for good and for evil. And because it's so powerful, it can actually help us enjoy life and build God's kingdom, or it can cause serious damage to us. And he does not want any damage to come to any of us, such is his love for us. So, in this teaching on the passage I'm about to read from Matthew's Gospel, in Luke's version, Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard, this is serious. So let's get into it, this is Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Do not store up your for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So this comes in the middle of uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, his kind of ethical manifesto for what it looks like in the kingdom of God that he is building around himself. And our passage is kind of in three sections. The first, verse 19 to 21, is about treasures, Then the second, sandwiched in the middle, verse 22 to 23, is a sort of tangent about eyes and darkness. And then the third, verse 24, is a return to the theme of money and who we are serving. And whilst this slightly strange uh, tangent, eye tangent thing in the middle seems incongruous with the uh, other two sections, it's actually the key to understanding the whole thing. Um, And so let's start there. The picture, verse 22, is relatively simple. The eye is a conduit to the whole rest of our bodies. Sorry, our whole selves—body, mind, and soul. Could we um, have that up on the screen? Do we have it? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. So, what the eye focuses on makes its way directly through the eye into our whole selves, into our hearts into our thoughts, and it it characterizes it, and it defines it. So, if your eyes are directed towards light, your whole selves will be full of light. But if your eyes are directed towards darkness, your whole selves will be in darkness. Relatively simple. But there's also a deeper meaning. I've played this game before, but I quite like doing it. Will you play it with me? What you have to do is just close your eyes for a bit. Please don't fall asleep. Just close your eyes, and then I'm going to say a few things. With your eyes closed, can you imagine some things? Can you imagine, with your eyes closed, getting up out of your pew, walking out of your pew, up the slightly slopey, plastic-covered carpet, through the doors, make yourself a coffee with your eyes closed, Wave to Benjamin, our lovely doorman, go through the doors, get in your car, drive out of the parking lot, turn left onto Van Ness, go up to the top of Franklin, turn left onto Franklin, or with your eyes closed, turn right onto Beachwood Canyon, and then drive up through the winding streets of Beachwood Canyon until you get as far as you can, get out of your car with your eyes closed, walk up the little path to the Hollywood sign, and then with your eyes closed, have a look out at the whole city before you with your eyes closed. This is the point about darkness. You can open your eyes. This is the point about darkness. When we're in it, that is all we see. It doesn't matter how much light is around us if the sun is in the sky, if there's no smog, if you can see all the way to the ocean, you can see from Pasadena to um, Malibu. If our eyes are dark, we see nothing. We're blind to it all. And this is Jesus's point when it comes to money. Money can be like a big black hole. When your eyes are focused on it, it's like staring into a vortex you will be entirely in the dark, unable to see a thing. The creation could be in full bloom around you, but if your eyes are focused on money, you will miss it entirely. As I said last week, I have opened a crypto account. I'm late in the day, I've missed the boat, and now and again, I can check how my crypto is doing, whether it's going up or at the moment, just plummeting to earth. I made the joke, last week, that whilst I was watching this, I missed my daughter's first ever goal for her soccer team whilst watching her soccer team. That's not entirely true. I didn't actually miss it. I'm not a bad dad. I did see it. But the point is, it could have been true. Because this is what money can do to us. It can rob us of all the life that is going on around us. Specifically, money can blind us towards, to our attitudes towards it. The truth is, very few people think they have any problem with money at all. Have you ever said these sorts of things? I'm not miserly, I'm just prudent and responsible. I'm not irresponsible, I'm just free. Completely free with money. I'm not greedy, I just work hard and I like to treat myself because I deserve it. I'm not ungenerous. I just need a little bit more money before I can give any away. I am not judgmental. It's just that other people's use of money is really, really terrible. Or my personal favorite, which I have heard a couple of times, I'm called to be rich. I'm not obsessed. I'm just called to be rich. Very few of us actually think we've got any problem with money at all. A um, Christian leader was speaking at a... Uh, men's breakfast and they were speaking each week on the seven deadly sins and they would pick a different sin each week and at this men's breakfast he spoke on lust and guess what the room was packed everyone there to hear about lust he told his wife he said amazing it was packed everyone came he said okay what are you talking about next week greed she said no one will be there guess what no one was there no one thinks they've got a problem with money. If you think about all the other ways in which we stumble in life, most of them pretty obvious. Take murder, for example. Pretty clear when you've murdered someone. Adultery. You don't kind of stumble into adultery. How did you get here? I don't know. (laughs) You're not my wife. Uh, What's going on? You know when you've done these things. You know when you are not forgiving someone. You know when you've flown off the handle in rage. But when it comes to the issue of money, am I greedy, am I tight, we tend to be a bit blind to this stuff. It's so much easier to think about someone else and their problems with money. As I said last week, I think in general, this is just huge generalizations, but in general, if we fall on the right side of things politically, we will probably find it easiest to judge people who don't have much money. And if we fall on the left of things politically, we will probably find it very easy to judge people with extraordinarily large amounts of money. What we don't tend to do, though, and I include myself in this, is just look in the mirror. Let us take courage and look in the mirror, shall we? Because this is what money does. It blinds us, but not just to our attitudes, also to our own beliefs about it. Directly after um, the passage I just read, Jesus goes on to speak about worry. Why do you worry about clothes? He says, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. Now, Solomon, in today's money, is estimated to be worth about $2 trillion, or eight Elons, as it's known, or the whole of the top ten combined, Solomon. And yet he, even in all his splendor, in all his splendor, Jesus says, was not dressed like the lilies of the field. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's you, not me. So do not worry, says Jesus. Do not worry. I'll be honest. When I was younger and had less money, I didn't worry too much about it. Now that I'm older and I have more money, I worry more. The fundamental character of money has not changed, just my beliefs about it. In Jesus' terms, as it pertains to money, I have become someone of less faith. I'm just being honest. So what I want to encourage all of us to do as we sit here, and I'm going to encourage myself, do you know how hard it is to write talks about money? The whole time, I'm just going, you hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. That's all I think about. It's very difficult. So I'm challenging myself as I am challenging you. Shall we get back on the faith horse? Wherever we've fallen off, wherever we've stumbled, shall we just get back onto the thing that we actually believe? The reason that we come here, this Jesus who we follow, shall we actually just exercise some faith and stop worrying and believing that he might actually be very, very good at looking after us? Hannah and I will be giving to um, the churches as we give to other things as we always do and I'm encouraging you to do the same because the wondrous thing about faith is the more we see it the more it grows, the more we exercise it, the more it grows we saw that on the weekend away that we had a couple of weekends away it's just begetting faith and faith and faith and faith and wouldn't it be so much more fun if church was full of faith and we saw extraordinary things God loves faith. It's like the currency for him. And so the more faith there is, the more faith there is. And we see healing and people set free and people coming to know Jesus and people not actually having to worry anymore. And we see extraordinary things. Let's be people of faith, shall we? It will do us good and it will do our world good. We only need to start with a tiny, tiny amount. It's why a mustard seed is always going to be good enough. Because when we are filled with faith, we manage to rob money of its destructive power and just imbue it with its creative power. In order to do that, we need to see, again, how money can blind us to its potency. First, 24. No one can serve two masters, either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, as you probably will know, the traditional rendering of the word money here is actually mammon. It's an Aramaic word which kind of means uh, wealth or profit. And what Jesus is doing here is he is personifying money. He is actually deifying money. He is saying it's like a god it is not a god but it's like a god it has the potential to become a god for us if we treat it in the wrong way and gods deserve or sorry require devotion they are so powerful in fact that they can suck us in and never let us out Every time we drive here, we drive past the Scientology building, and our girls are very interested in Scientology, and uh, we're trying to make them less interested in Scientology, (laughs) but they've become very interested in Scientology, and they keep asking, well, why can't people leave? This is what gods do. They do not let us leave. Money can become like a god. And once it gets its claws into you, it's very difficult for you to get out. It has this extraordinary power. It's a vortex. It's a black hole. It's a Dementor's Kiss. But Jesus' antidote to it is startlingly practical. Two parts. Part one, locate where your treasure is. It strikes me that this city's um, kind of uh, archetypal allure might not actually be money first and foremost. It's probably fame or success or perhaps beauty. But I don't think money is too far behind. I can't believe, for instance, that the Kardashians would be quite as appealing if they weren't so fabulously wealthy. Now, of course, people are drawn to their influence and their beauty and their success and their relationships, but money, I think, is right up there. But let us be honest with ourselves. What are our eyes on? What are you looking at? Locate your treasure. What is it that you cannot do without? What are you here for in this city? What are you going after? Is it success? Is it fame? Is it just actually filthy lucre? Is it respectability? Is it recognition? Is it independence? When things are in darkness, they have extraordinary power over us. They are secret and shadowy, and they can take on these sort of looming figures that we don't quite feel in control of. But, and this is the beauty, bring them out into the light, and they are immediately robbed of so much of their power. One thing I've always loved, which has stuck with me, which an old priest said to me a while back, was um, those things that we feel so kind of overshadowed by, those things that sort of sit in the depths of our heart. If we can speak them out, and, and this is the bit I love, It's like we allow God's fresh air to blow all around them. And immediately, the stink of them is dissipated. Immediately, they lose a huge amount of their power. So it might be helpful just to say it out loud. You don't have to do it now. But to say it out loud. Say it to someone. Secondly, having located Where your treasure is. Relocate your treasure on things of heavenly and eternal value. There is one definition, and one definition only, of success in God's kingdom it is simply following the Holy Spirit. You want to be successful, follow the Holy Spirit. In following the Holy Spirit, you may get money and fame and wealth and all that sort of stuff, or you may not, but what you will have always been is a success in eternal terms. When we know our lives, when we analyze them, are saying, your will, not mine be done, as opposed to I just think that this is what I want or need or I probably do need this. I should go after this. We will always be successful. So heavenly treasures, both in the here and now and forever and ever, are things such as these. Good news of eternal life, specifically for those who have been defined not by good but by bad news. What Jesus describes as the poor in spirit who have no hope or direction or life or belief treasures are freedom for prisoners those imprisoned in all sort of destructive patterns of behavior those imprisoned by the effect of things they've done or things that have been done to them those imprisoned by spiritual evil it is recovery of sight to the blind both spiritual and physical it is healing We believe in healing. We pray for healing. It is extraordinary and faith-building and glorious when people are physically healed. But it's not just physical healing. It is also spiritual healing, emotional healing. It's all available for us in the kingdom of God. What did Jesus go around doing? Not much other than preaching good news to people who needed to hear good news, healing people and delivering them from all sorts of oppression. And this is the kingdom that is our inheritance that is here available to us. And Jesus says, go for that. It will make you happy. It will make other people happy. It's the only real thing that is of any importance in this life. Treasure these treasures, says Jesus. Assign huge value to them. When we do it, we see money for what it actually is which is basically value neutral. Neither good nor bad, but the potential to do extraordinary things. And this is when money becomes very, very exciting. Now, we do not give in order to receive. God is not some sort of celestial slot machine. But it is true to say that when we give, which is an act of faith, we receive. We receive relief and freedom and joy, and faith. All experiences of God's kingdom and his pleasure for us right here and right now. So to end, I want to talk a little bit about what we see the future of this church looking like. The currency of the kingdom of God has always been and will always be people. Jesus didn't start his ministry by finding 12 projects to get involved in. He didn't find 12 buildings in which to inhabit. He didn't find 12 courses to run. He found 12 disciples because the currency of the kingdom was, is, and always will be people. The job we have as a church is to invest in people. People here and people out there. We exist for the benefit of people. We're called to grow into the people God has called us to be, and we are called to grow into what God has called us to do. So let me try and explain a little bit in more detail how we want to invest in people. Since we reopened the church kind of six months ago uh, in person back in May, our focus has really been very simple. It's just to be together, to be together and to worship because we were desperate for it and we needed to be together. And it's been great to have Ben and Tavia and the other musicians kind of help us out with uh, music, which has been fantastic. We have created a a sense of belonging. Super small groups have really sort of um, exploded, and we're excited to kind of grow that on and on and on. But that's really all we've focused on. We are now in a position to, next year, grow and to go deeper. But we will see, as we always have done, the starting point for entry into the church is Sunday services here. Come as much as you like, for as long as you like. You can check it out for the rest of time. You're never going to be forced into anything. You are here on your own terms, as we always say. So feel free to sit at the back and kind of watch the weirdos. That's absolutely fine, the weirdos being me and Raoul. Uh, You can do that for as long as you like. Alpha is the other way in which people can enter the church. So we're going to um, put this back where it belongs, in a bar, yay, Uh, so we can um, uh, meet in a bar and we can have drinks, and basically what I want to say to you, whether you see yourself as primarily an evangelist or not. Can you understand that Alpha needs to be and will be the place in which we can bring people in, people who are disaffected by church, by all the ways in which politics and stupid things have infected Jesus' good news, all the people who have been put off by various things that have stood in the place of Jesus, or people who have no faith at all but are interested in spirituality, this is the place to bring them. There are various things that I can do. There are quite a lot of things that I can't do. One of the things I'm quite good at doing is presenting the gospel in a way that people go, ah, yes, I like that. I like that Jesus. That's the Jesus I want. Thank you for ridding me of all the other crap. I can do that. It's one thing I can do. We want Alpha to be this breeding place for people who may never darken the doors of a church or don't think they would, but can... Uh, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally connect with the real Jesus, have their faith rekindled, come alive. So those are the two starting points. Sunday services, alpha. That's the way in. The way on is twofold. It is what we've already been doing, super small groups and volunteering. Super small groups, we had like 70 people um, through super small groups this last round. We've got some great leaders, we will continue to do it for six to eight weeks, three times a year. The primary role of super small groups is to be a family, is to build community. This is the loneliest of cities. Everyone's sitting in their metal box, of a Tesla driving around, never actually having contact with anyone other than to like, beep at them because they did something slightly strange, like not using their blinkers. Instead, we want to create a, a sense of people being known, really known, but also knowing other people. Super small groups are the primary way to do that. It's 10, 12, 15 people hanging out, six people hanging out, enjoying food together, Knowing that they're supported, knowing that they are loved, being prayed for. We will start this again uh, early February, something like that. Discipleship may happen in these small groups, but that's not the primary role. Any discipleship is great, but really it's just about being together. Volunteering is a way we grow and use our gifts. There are lots of different ways to volunteer, from welcome to doing the lyrics to worship to kid stuff to helping with toy drive and serve the city. There is so much to do. Use your gifts. Do not, though, collapse your life into church. You must not do this. Do not collapse your life into church. Do not collapse your life into church. It will kill you. Too many people have been killed by collapsing their lives into church. However, having done this for a while, I've seen that the people who really grow are the people who give their time and their gifts to serving the church. It's how we come alive. So find something to volunteer in. So that's what we've already been doing. The second part is what we haven't really had a focus on. But now we need to, and we want to. We're very excited to be launching what we're currently calling more. It might be called grow. It might be called something completely different. At the moment, let's go with more. Essentially, it's going deeper, growing, getting more from your bread church experience. It is for anyone and everyone who calls bread their home, who just wants More. You'll grow to love it. It's our core discipleship program. It's going to be running centrally at the church throughout the year. I've got to warn you, it gets slightly worse. We've divided it into three streams. Each stream has a name that begins with the same first letter. Hannah is shaking her head. I'm very, no one has, no one, Hannah's saying I didn't sign off on this. No one signed off on this. I'm just telling you from the start so that it becomes real. Anyway, in fact, other people have tried to sign not off on it. When I've told them about it, it said, you can't do it. I'm doing it. Anyway, three eyes. Don't worry. This is serious because I know people are going, it sounds like it's been bought from some church planting textbook and is there going to be merch? And uh, what is this? This has got nothing to do with bread. I completely understand this. Don't worry. We won't have like cool graphic. We won't try and sell it to other churches. They won't want to buy it. Uh, Hopefully, actually, the point is we have tried to cater this for our particular context for what it means to be um, the type of people who come to this church who are trying to navigate faith in this city with all the stuff that's going on in culture. So we might change the names, but anyway. More intimacy is about God's relationship with us. Learning to pray, to worship, to hear his voice, to prophesy to draw closer to him and experience more of him. It's about our spiritual, emotional, relational health. It's about becoming more comfortable, having more faith to allow the Holy Spirit in, to completely revolutionize our whole lives, to form and to heal and to change us. That's more intimacy. Should we guess the next one? More inspiration. It's about God's direction for us. It's about learning how the Bible works, how to read it, and to let it speak to us. It's about studying scripture and kingdom theology together and coming under the lordship of Jesus on every area of our lives, ethically, spiritually, relationally, our gifting and our calling. More inspiration, more impact is about God's mission for us. It's about learning how the kingdom of God impacts our communities, our workplaces, our society, and the culture in which we find ourselves in. It's about how we can throw ourselves into being part of God's commission to bring order out of chaos in this broken but beautiful world. So each stream is for everyone, and we would encourage everyone to do all streams. And they will uh, involve a whole range of different topics and focuses, or foci, as I like to say, because it's correct. They will run alongside each other in the same slots in the year, uh, usually for about five or six weeks. Each stream will include not just courses, but it will also have initiatives and events, and they will be both theoretical and practical elements, because there's no point just filling our knowledge, our brains, with knowledge unless we're actually doing something. We are human beings and human doings, and we need to do both. So, for instance, a course on worship is not just gonna be about this is the theory and the theology of worship it's about worshiping. Similarly, courses on racial reconciliation will not just be about knowledge, It'll be about actually taking practical steps to do the stuff. So, in January, just as a little taste, don't worry, I'm ending soon, we will be kicking off with more impact and more inspiration streams. We are partnering with uh, Monrovia Christian Fellowship, which is a fantastic church just down the road, who run a whole um, dedicated center for racial reconciliation. They are putting on these uh, table talks, run by their staff, that we will be uh, taking part in on uh, two evenings a week, running for about five weeks. This is going to be the next very important step for us to fully become, or rather to take another step into fully becoming the anti-racist people of God that Jesus wants us and calls us into. So that will be under the more impact stream. Under the more influence stream, we are going to be holding a four week, maybe five week course going into depth into how the Bible works, how to read it, how to let it speak to us, how the whole thing holds together. When these two initiatives come to an end, in mid-February we'll be kicking off super small groups again, uh, and then this will kind of run uh, pretty much up to Easter, and then after Easter we start again with more, more, see? All of this is about people. People who are near and people who are far off. It's about the currency of the kingdom. Investing in human beings to become the images of God we were all created to be. What I want to ask us to do is to exercise some faith and to take seriously what we actually believe deep down in our bones. That Jesus is who he says he is that he speaks the truth, that the world is his, that he loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine. He wants no harm to come to us. His love for us is unconditional. And what he is calling each one of us to is to be participators in his redemption for the whole of humanity, for the whole of this universe. Let us exercise some faith. None of this that we want to do happens without finance, and we are entirely reliant on the generosity of people who come to this church. We don't have any outside backing. Last week, as I said, we launched our end-of-year giving campaign. Every year since we launched in 2017, we have met or gone above our 100,000K. 100,000K. What's that? Casey, what's 100,000K? Is it a billion? Come on, Casey. Come on, Casey. Come on. You don't know. It's not 100,000K. It's 100K, which represents about a quarter of our budget. We've made a good start. So uh, we're just over 13, 87 to go. It's a good start. I want to say thank you for everyone who has given very generously. Can I say that over the years, this congregation has been extraordinarily generous? Extraordinarily generous. And it's very moving to us to see this. Now, I hope it goes without saying, all the money you give should not just go to one place, just one to to your church. But if you see yourself as part of the church, it's um, kind of a cognitive dissonance not to give something of your finances, to be invested in this. So can I encourage you to do that? Could we have the breakdown of how we could get there? So this is how we can get to the 100,000. Have a look at this for a minute. Two people doing 25, three doing 10, four doing two and a half, five doing one, ten doing 500. On another level, if just the people in this room, plus the people who weren't here, uh, who were here yesterday but yesterday, last week but weren't here, um, we just do a thousand, we'd go way over. If everyone did that, what I'd like to suggest is, could we all try and do something? The beauty of all the money being God's is that it doesn't really matter the level; it's all His anyway. Just give something; it's good for you. What is exciting is that faith begets faith. The more we show faith, the more it grows. The more the kingdom of God grows. So, what I want to do is lead us in a quick prayer, and then we will sing a song. I would ask, as we do this, that the Holy Spirit speak to you. Just close your eyes. Why don't you just do those very practical steps? Trying to locate where your treasure is. And perhaps just see yourself putting it back in the hands of Jesus who loves you. As I said last week, Jesus never motivated anyone by guilt. Do not feel guilty. Rather, Jesus on the cross, arms open wide, holds out to us the picture of a whole new way of being. Of complete freedom and joy where every tear is wiped away. And he invites us and says, do you want to join me? Join me in my kingdom. So ask the Holy Spirit what he might want you to do. My advice is to act quickly before you get a chance to, you know, find some reasons not to. It does not have to be to this church, but obviously it would be great if it was. Um, There are different ways of giving. You can give towards this 100,000, which is our primary need right now, but it's also good to give monthly, um, just as a regular way of knowing you're invested, and it helps us with our planning, but I know sometimes people's cash flows are lumpy and that's not always easy. We also have a benevolence fund. This is set up primarily, specifically, for helping those who are in need in our community. So you can give to that. If you go on the same page, you can give to that. and You can either do that as one-off or regularly if you'd like. Good? Good. Let's stand and we'll sing a song together.